What was that? I was ready to go live. Here we are. We are live. The first episode of Where Peter Is Live. Do we have anyone watching? We will find out. Um, welcome to our new format. We are shifting a little bit. We're going to have our live stream occurring regularly right here. If you're catching us live, it's congratulations because we did not announce this except for about 20 minutes ago. Um, today we're going to be talking about Lent with our little group here of contributors and our fearless leader, Mike Lewis. So let's bring everybody in. Oh. Hello. Hi. Did there you introduce are. yourself? <laughs> I should introduce myself. I am Rachel Amiri. I am a contributor to WPI as of the past few months. I'm also becoming a bit of a production editor to back up Mike's uh, organization in the background. So if you're uh, seeing things on the site, might be helping organize that a little bit. Um, I am married to Dan Amiri, who has been writing for the site for a while now, since almost the beginning. And he kind of roped me in to contributing in the past year or so. So here I am. And we also have Melinda, who is relatively new to our little group. So do you want to introduce yourself, Melinda? Hi, I'm Melinda Ribneck. I um, have been writing for the site contributing and trying to help a little bit behind the scenes too for um, a couple months. Um, I live in California, sunny California, with my seven kids and with my husband who puts up with all of us. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. That works. And Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, all. My name is Matt Capodacanal. I'm also based in California, live in the Los Angeles area with my wife and two children, one boy age, uh, a little over two, going to be three in April. And we have a newborn that joined us in December. I started contributing to where Peter is, uh, I guess it would be around the summertime. I, it was around the time of George Floyd that my uh, faith really shifted and deepened. And during that time, I started taking my faith more intentionally, getting more active in both reading and writing with respect to the faith. And uh, through uh, a mutual friend, Father Satish Joseph, he recommended that I reach out to Mike and consider writing for where Peter is. And Mike took a gamble and uh, lo and behold, here I am. Yeah, and you uh, just uh, wrote a new, um a new piece today, a Lenten reflection. Actually, we have Lenten reflections from two of you in the last two days. So um, I'm Mike Lewis. For those of you who don't know me, um, we have a question right here from, I'm going to, this is our very first, well, second live stream, but I just want to, I want to put this question, uh, Stinky Pete, 1975, did you find <laughs> Peter? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Yes, uh, we have. The uh, well, the successor to Peter is Pope Francis, and uh, where Peter is, there is the church. But thanks, Pete, for that question. And it looks like there's another Pete, stinky Pete, right there. Um, anyway, I'm uh, one of the four founding members of where Peter is, um, along with Brian Killian, Paul Fahey, and uh, who's the other guy, Pedro, Pedro Gabriel, and um. We just had our third anniversary. We started as a little tiny group blog, and um, now we've become a much bigger uh, website. And we've uh, we've done a lot of good work, I believe, in in favor of support of the church and Pope Francis and the faith, and trying to dispel some of the rumors that are out there, and trying to build up a a positive um, Catholic culture and uh, and and giving a platform to um, great Catholics like yourselves who uh, who have a lot of good insights and uh, can talk about the church today. So anyway, that's my, that's my spiel. That's your spiel for today. Well, the reason we're streaming today, and I guess what we're, we were planning on talking about is this Lenten season that's upon us. It's COVID Lent 2.0 is what I'm calling it. Um, since last Lent didn't quite ever end for a lot of us, maybe um, it doesn't really feel that it did end uh, in a decisive way. Um, and here we are starting over again, um, kind of surprising that it's been this long of a Lenten experience, but here we are back 
thrown into the desert of Lent again, um, feeling like the church is calling us to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as every year. Um, but it, it feels different. And so that's the reason we do have Melinda and Matt on this stream is because they've written about this kind of different Lent and how we should be reflecting on it this year um, and how we should really be entering into the invitation that Lent presents for us. Um, so I'm not sure who wants to go first, but kind of recapping your perspective and maybe giving a little taste of what people could read on the site, Melinda or Matt. Um, actually, we were we talked about the last minute change was we wanted to start with a prayer um, for the yeah. people in Texas, um, yeah. especially. And we have our, our resident Jesuit, uh, <laughs> former Jesuit scholastic, Matt, who is gonna, a couple, at least two of our contributors, I know Charlene and Efren, um, have uh, live in Texas and have been kind of struggling through this. Um, I was supposed to do a podcast yesterday with Efren, but there are all kinds of, um, his power has been going on and off. And fortunately he hasn't lost his water, but a lot of people have. So anyway, um, go ahead, Matt. Sure, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit and be with us this evening anoint our words, empower us. May we be your instruments of peace, of love, of healing. Bless those who are listening, those who will be listening. Use our words, use our message. Let us be your instruments. We pray especially for those in the South who are suffering during this weather. We remember Ephraim and we remember Charlene. Remember all those who are going without right now. We pray this in Jesus' name through Mary's intercession. Amen. 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 Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. I think Matt should go first. <laughs> well, I, Melinda, since you're supposed to first, you should go first. <laughs> Wait, oh, thank you for that. <laughs> Give the introduction. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, um, I wrote an article, which Matt, which Mike gave a wonderful uh, preview to, um, that it would be a lot about fire and the fires of God that work in our heart that, you know, kind of um, very dramatic the way that um, we were kind of joking about it. But um, the article that I wrote at the end of the day was more about discernment. And it's very difficult to write, um, you know, a Lenten, reflection because everybody is so different and even the same person will have different lints in their life um and if we're really open to god working in our souls then by nature those lints are going to look different even in our lives from year to year because the soul is always changing always growing and stagnation staying in the same spot um is it's is a problem in the spiritual life. So you, so we don't want to um, be overly comparative to other people's Lent, but even to some of our own past Lent, um, because being open to change and being open to the spirit um, is really what furthers our own spiritual development, being open to God speaking in our lives and not necessarily what we always know or what we have always known. So um, the piece that I wrote dealt with a lot of, um, looking at Lent and trying to, whatever your, um, whether you have more harsh, more, um, I guess, like outwardly big penances or whether they're very small and minimal, really discerning what's going on in the soul as these things are happening. Um, and and so, um, yeah, I really wanted to provide a spot where we could focus less on what the actual penances and what the actual, not just penances, but observances, because we know that Lent also entails um, almsgiving and, and prayer as well, those three tenets, um, but what they're doing in the soul. So I think when we talk about the suffering that we meditate on of Christ during Lent, and then we try to reflect on that in our own lives, um, suffering just is so individually based. There are some years where um, I took on penances that seemed more about um, creating that that tension, that internal suffering, right? Doing things like fasting and things that cause, um, you know, kind of an aesthetic um, value. And I think I think back on those lents for myself, and I think those were those were necessary for me. They, I really grew a lot. I was able to grow a lot from challenging 
um, you know, challenging my, my self-discipline, challenging um, different virtues I have and all of that in those ways. I really grew a lot from those. But then there have been other lands, like one land I think of um, more a couple of years ago, in recent years where my life was already so challenging and it was so demanding with the kids. And I really had no, I didn't have much control over my life anyway. So when we look at the spiritual life, a lot of it is about giving up control. But when you don't have much control in your life anyway, then that becomes less of a factor. Um, so I think of that land, I remember that land only doing the minimum that the church asked and not because, and this is where discernment comes. Are you doing the minimum because you are, you know, you're trying to be like spiritually lazy or it's not a priority, but the intention of my Lent at that point was to do the minimum to foster a trust in the church. That even if I couldn't do great things, that I trusted the church's guidance to tell me, well, this is what you must do. And that I would be more self-reliant on my trust in the church to guide us than my own thoughts about what I should or shouldn't do. So I, that Lent was very different than some of my more ascetic Lents, but it taught me so much about trusting things beyond ourselves. And so um, this Lent, I still don't have it figured out yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're in day what two and i still don't have it all figured out yet but i'm kind of offering my not having figured it out too and i'm hoping my attention is good there and not just kind of like well whatever but um but it is i whatever we do during the season the most important thing is about is about god coming into our hearts about being open to the fire of god which changes us which which allows us to repent which changes how we see the other how we see god how we see ourselves um, and so, yeah, so that's going to look different from each person. And I tried to hit on that in, in the article that I wrote. Yeah, I really appreciated how you shared from your own experience, how even those lengths that weren't so weren't as intense, maybe as ascetic as the other ones were still fruitful and taught you important lessons that you carry with yourself today and that have shaped your faith even now. So it's kind of it reminded me of that need to really trust God, that when God's moving in our lives, we just, we need to trust him and trust his church to guide us towards him. Even if we aren't impressed with ourselves, God's still working in that space. And I really appreciate that about what you wrote. Um, the other thing I, I noticed is, you know, you were, or Mike, you were teasing Melinda with the with the flames everywhere. He was he was previewing on Twitter. You can go, go check out Mike's Twitter threats from yesterday. He was previewing Melinda's post with lots of, Lots of flame emojis. He had jokes. <laughs> yes, he had jokes. Um, but it actually resonated with what Pope Francis talked about. Oh, his Ash Wednesday I did. Party. Yeah, it actually resonated. He talked about, um, let me see, he said, yesterday in his homily, he said, let us pray once more to the Holy Spirit and rediscover the fire of praise, which consumes the ashes of lamentation and resignation. Um, it really was part of his call. Like, we need to to remember the fire of praise, the, to let it burn within ourselves. And part of that is praising God for giving us this church that guides us. Um, so I, I liked your resonance there. I'm not yeah. sure how intentional that was, but. Well, it's funny because after, um, so I wrote the article before, um, I think it was published after, but I actually wrote it before Pope Francis came out, um, mm -hmm. that, that, which was very similar to the language that I used in my own article. Um, mm -hmm. Because I talked about the flames of God flaming our hearts and turning it to ash. And the meat and the idea, the imagery is, is that, you know, God, God, we we hear in scripture about the potter and the clay. And we know that God breathed life into earth, into into dirt, right? And so the idea is that the more humble the medium, the more we kind of step out of the way, um, the more God can really work through work through us and work and build something great. So if we allow our hearts to become ashes per se, then through those ash, God can, God can build. And so I actually messaged Mike to tease him as he was teasing my <laughs> article that the Pope happened to be quoting me. <laughs> but, and I just want, so, and, and just to add on that one more note, um, yeah, I, you know, this year, this past year, 2020, I don't know that any of us want to keep talking about 2020, but, um, this past year, like it's definitely without a doubt, like God is calling us to rethink a lot of things here in the U S we have, um, a year of, um, racial injustice protest, right? Um, we have COVID, um, even today I was talking to a, um, a friend about, um, how COVID has helped us to rethink our work ethic here. 
about how rigid we work and the hours that we work and the kind of work that brings us outside the home. Is there work we can do that's more conducive to raising families? Um, and there's, and that's just one example, but there's so many ways we are being forced out right now to rethink how we live because our life has been interrupted. And in this country, I also don't think that that's a coincidence to um, that, that right now we're seeing Black Lives Matter protests as well um, in the past year. And so when I say, um, you know, allowing our hearts to be burned and made anew, we're in a period in our life where we really have to start drastically rethinking our perspective. And even in areas that we haven't, you know, we may not see. Um, and so for me, um, I think a lot of us could really benefit this year from a Lent that may look very different than years past. Maybe it is in less aesthetic. I can't speak for everybody, but maybe it is in less aesthetic practices and more about um, take, like rending, opening up that heart for God to really come in there and to really be and to make it new and to be able to see things in a completely new light. Um, I wonder if this Lent, you know, we couldn't work on um, changing our perspectives more and in a more radical way. I think if anything, all of us can agree, God's calling us to radical change right now. Um, well, so and, and I just wanted to, to, to talk about how um, it was. So the thing that struck me, first of all, the file that you sent, the title was Ashes, which made <laughs> me think of the, of the song that the folk groups sing and, and then I, you know, and so, <laughs> and so, so that's why that's what was in my mind. And then I start reading this, like this powerful reflection on how, you know, how, how fire transforms us and fire consumes and fire burns away everything into, into ashes. And I'm just sort of like expecting, <laughs> you know, some just I, I I'm picturing you know second grade going up the aisle you know waiting to get ashes on my forehead <laughs> and like burning yeah and, uh, and so um yeah it was just it was like a it's a stripping away but the other thing that struck me about it and this is why it spoke to me in particular um I think for a lot of Catholics and especially with what we've I mean, just this papacy over the last eight years, it's, I mean, the anniversary is, is less than a month away, eight year anniversary. Um, I think that Pope Francis has posed that kind of challenge for a lot of Catholics. I think that a lot of, a lot of us were sort of comfortable in um, a certain form of Catholicism that while it maybe was good enough in certain regards, it it placed a lot more on um, sort of devotional practices and how and just like you were writing, how much you pray and what um, whether or not how much you know and whether or not you go to the how much you know about liturgical music and 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 it and I think the thing is that when you're called to that kind of interior conversion. That Pope Francis called me to. I, I mean, I, I, for whatever reason, by the grace of God, I was just open to his message when when it came, and it it it's transformative, but it's also painful. And so, what when I read in your piece, because you were sort of drawing this distinction between what is holiness and and we can become comfortable. In, in an idea of holiness. And that's kind of, and that's what really struck me about the piece, which is why I was just like, holy cow. And so I posted it on Twitter. It's like, if you want to see, here's a preview. And I had a, you know, a picture of like a, a forest fire with, you know, <laughs> like rend your hearts and be purified by the fires of God's love. So, you know, and, and, um, but I mean, that's a huge aspect of our faith that a lot of times we need that transformation and we need a lot of that. Um, we need to convert, even though we're already Catholic, the conversion is an ongoing process. And throughout our lives, we have these moments of conversion and, um, and Lent is really that time where we go into the desert when we, when we do evaluate what's important and and how are we serving God so so thank you for the piece I'm sorry for for teasing you about it but I mean it really just I was what I what I 
thought I was getting and what I read, I was like, wow, this this dug really deep. So that's my take. So, so Matt, let's bring yeah. yeah, let's bring Matt in. <laughs> sure. Um, because Matt's uh, piece was really um, whoops, there we go. Was really focused um, kind of on that internal conversion and how that does carry us towards you know serving others and towards regarding others um, with mercy. So Matt, do you want to share a little bit about what you wrote? Absolutely. Thank you. And to be quite frank, this was a reflection that came based on the grace of the spirit yesterday just the words from the from the book um hosea um uh i desire mercy not sacrifice just kind of kind of um reverberated within me so i spent time praying with that and that's kind of the fruit of the reflection so i've probably heard that scripture phrase from for 20 plus years and oftentimes it's kind of used as a way to create this false dichotomy like, oh, God doesn't desire your sacrifices. He wants mercy. And then it's created in this vague sense. Well, what is mercy? And we, and it brought to mind that, well, mercy is in fact a very high, higher form of sacrifice. In fact, if we look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his demonstration of mercy and how that sacrifice of mass is also the highest form of prayer. We, when we're called to mercy, we're called to, um, have a share in Christ's mission in that regard. Um, one of the things that struck me about mercy versus sacrifice, when we, especially in the Old Testament, when we're when they were doing a sacrifice, it was to atone for a wrong that they did. When we are participating in mercy, it's to show compassion for what someone else has done to us. And Jesus, of course, models that on the cross. And and that's that's basically what Lent is. Um, it's a calling to conversion and a calling to um, to reflect Jesus's act of mercy. Um, Melinda had a quote in her uh, reflection from Joel chapter two, the idea of returning to the Lord. And that same passage from Hosea starts out with that meaning of "Come, let us return to the Lord." And I believe that's an important theme of Lent is to take the 40 days and in a newer, more radical way, allow our hearts to be transformed and turn towards God. And no matter where we are in our faith journey, there's always room for us that God is calling us to grow further. Um, and then uh, really in terms of mercy, I find I found that the spirit was calling me to, to really show mercy in a new particular way this time around. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, have a newborn who's born in December, and I have an older son. He's a toddler. And as you can expect, this has been a time of transition for all of us, but particularly for him, uh, going from having all the attention to now his sleep-deprived parents, and who are also very stressed and also dealing with COVID, now have multiple things to juggle and no longer have as much time and attention for him. So he, in turn, is acting out, as is typical. And... My go-to is usually to be strict, to punish. And I just felt a conviction from the Lord as I was uh, praying with this theme of mercy. God is calling me to show mercy to him. To um, when he starts to act up, that should be a siren going off within me that he is needing to experience being loved, being held. And that was a call for me to then slow down and respond in that way. And what's interesting is that passage in Hosea, it's a call to healing. God has come, let's return to the Lord, not to be punished, but to be healed, to be bound up, to be restored. And so God is calling me to reflect that same, that same sense of mercy um, in my own life. And I was reflecting further, when we look at our lives, those that we experience the most hurt from are those that we expect the most love in return. So it's our family members. It's those closest in our lives. It could be um, any sort of authority figure, teacher, bosses, whatnot. So when we're called to show mercy, it's generally within the circle. Um, in a previous uh, life, so to speak, before I was married and had kids, uh, one let my, my uh, uh, God called me to show a particular form of mercy towards my parents. Whether I live 30 minutes away from them or a whole coast away from them, the idea of talking to them on the phone just just sounded like a painful penance. 
But God showed me that when I did take the time to do that, I was in actuality reflecting Christ's love to them. And at first when I started to do this, it would sounded it felt painful. But the more I did this, I started to experience how God was loving them through me through this act. And me participating in that act allowed me to also partake in Christ's love. Um, so for each of us, kind of like as Melinda was alluding to, we are called differently during Lent. And we in particular are called to show mercy differently during Lent. So I would invite us all, and it's not like we have a deadline like filing taxes in terms of figuring out what we're doing for Lent. I would invite us all to take that time in prayer to ask God and to show us what it is in particular God is calling us to do this Lent and and to allow that to be the way that God is particularly calling us to grow during this Lenten time. Thanks, Matt. I think what I really appreciated about your post was really how you dug into those real life examples from your own own experience. Um, I, I was tweeting about this the other day about how I used to think, you know, the advice to kind of pick the simple thing and really just focus on kindness. I thought that was, you know, church of nice stuff. Everyone knows that we already know that we should be kind and, and treat others with compassion. Like, come on, let's move on to the big, the most more important issues. Um, but really, as I have matured and, and reflected on things, it's like, no, it's in those moments of forcing myself to respond patiently and with compassion and with a hug to my child who is really upset. Like that is where God has most clearly taught me patience and love um, and, and reflected his own love. And I, I really appreciate it about your post, how you expressed how you learned how God loved you through your showing of parental love to your son in those circumstances. It's amazing how we learn from being parents ourselves about God's parenthood of us. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. Oh, go church of nice. I see. <laughs> Dr. Sam's in the house. <laughs> Dr. Sam commenting on the church of nice. I mean, the church of nice, that's, that's really where, that's where, where it's at. <laughs> well, I think too, like, I, I like the idea of breaking down the dichotomy between mercy and sacrifice because the reality is, is that one should flow into the other, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're doing all these sacrifices and we're not, it's not pouring out to others, right? Then it really becomes kind of a, a trap for pride and, and, and an insular focus on your own virtue. And I think we definitely have, I know I speak a lot about this pretty often, but we definitely have become overly, overly um, insular and thinking that our spiritual practices are about us or our whole, my holiness, my relationship with God. And that's not scripture is clear over and over again, that that's not the case. Like we are judged by how we treat others. So I really appreciated all of the practical applications of what learning mercy means and how you apply that to your life to others. Um, and one more thought that I had that you draw to this, again, this idea of fire, Mike's going to make fun of me for talking about fire again. But the idea is, is that the fire, it's difficult to talk about the fire of God because I don't want it to take on such a um, connotation that it's so inherently painful, right? Because God's intent isn't to punish us. His fire is to purify us. And so we get very caught up and like Rachel's alluding to too, we think this sounds like the church of nice, but theologically speaking, it is true that like the fires within God are not intended to punish as much to purify us so that we can you know, participate in his love more freely. And so even when I was writing my article, I almost put in, I didn't, you know, you have to keep them somewhat small, it's not a book, but I almost wanted to go into that discussion too of, um, of the fire not necessarily being and like focused on the pain of fire, but more into the, the consuming nature. And so I really like that you like broadened up um, like this kind of breaking down of, of sacrifice versus mercy um, and kind of turning it more into a symbiotic, a symbiotic relationship. I thought that was really where we need to head and not be scared that that sounds like the church of nice. <laughs> Thank you. I was reminded too, St. Ignatius of Loyola talks about when we desire a virtue, sometimes we think, all right, I desire patience. So then all of a sudden God's going to make 
everything easy for me. So it's easier for me to be patient. And it's actually the opposite. If we desire patience, then God will allow the circumstances around us to really challenge us so that we can, we can um, practice the virtue of patience. And so it was kind of in that same way, I've been given opportunities to practice mercy. Um, I will not always um, succeed at them, but I think the, the, the idea is, number one, to rely on God's grace, and even number two, when I do fall, to realize that I am being shown mercy even the, in those circumstances, and then to then in turn reflect those reflect that mercy. So it's a it's a building process, and it's a it's a process of faith. You know, part of me, I guess the thing is, I you know, looking at reading both of your pieces and thinking about Lent and thinking about recent years, and also um, Rachel had a. Um, a thread on Twitter where, where she sort of talked about what her concept of, of holiness and orthodoxy was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And, and I don't want to necessarily place the blame on any specific church leader or a Pope or um, anything like that. But I, I kind of like, I think what we're all, what we're all in agreement about is that we're witnessing that a resistance to that purification process and that there are that and i know i was there i was comfortable with a certain vision of catholicism just like you were saying like going outward and this is one, one of the things that struck me with pope francis was in the first day or two of his papacy he had that famous line i want a poor church for the poor and that was such an outward facing statement and it struck me as just not where I was oriented. I, you know, I was expecting maybe more lofty, pious language, or uh, you know, that we all follow the Holy Spirit, or or that we grow in love, grow in love. But you know, some some kind of abstraction. And when he really started talking about let's let's make a, a poor church for the poor, and and started making all these these gestures. Um, I mean, I can recognize in myself, especially what, um, well, I think in both cases, sort of that resistance to the idea of mercy and a mercy that costs mm. and the idea of, um, and I think you even used the word, something that costs, like a love that costs in your piece, Melinda, um, that, that cost where, where it really hurts. Uh, or not, it doesn't have to hurt. Sorry, that's <laughs> going back to what you were saying. But, but I mean, but but where it's actually it, it it's actually transformative. It 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 breaks you out of the mold that you were in, and I kind of wonder. Like, I think that that is the path to conversion of the church, and I think maybe sometimes like I'm too flippant or I don't give a good enough example. Um, but it's but but in evangelization, it's like that's. The lesson I think that we're that we've all that the four of us at least have learned and granted we're not perfect and we're still working on it and 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 everything but um I don't know I, I does any of that resonate with you or does that ring a bell but it's it's sort of like what what is that barrier or what exactly is it that people who have been Catholic their entire life and have given their life in certain ways to the church but there's a certain amount of either hesitancy or holding back or I'm only going to go this far because this doesn't feel right to me. Like, I don't know, like, is it just the grace of God that, that pulls people out of that feeling or, or what, what do you think? Anybody? I don't... I think... Yeah. What... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. I think when you talk about like, when you mentioned it hurt and then you wanted to like pull back from that. Right. I think where you're, what you're um, trying to get to is that it pulls us out of our comfort zone, right? And because like by nature, we like to be in our comfort zone, right? To pull out is going to cause some kind of like spiritual pain. And it really doesn't matter because we know we're so far from where we need to be. Everybody is because we know that. Um, that when we get comfortable, if we really want to, I don't care who you are and what stage you're in, whatever that yeah. looks like for you, in order to break through that comfort, it causes us pain. And that is true. And so 
um, when we get to a place, um, you know, we know we don't want to be, we don't want to talk about pain or being hurt in any kind of like idealistic way, right? We're not trying to go there, but we are saying that to step outside that comfort zone creates a tension and internal tension. And as human beings, we like to do everything to avoid that. So if we can pinpoint the faith in ways that feel like we know it or we have it under control and we feel comfortable being uncomfortable in certain ways, but we don't feel comfortable being uncomfortable in other ways. Like there are some who may be able to do very aesthetic. Um, <laughs> there are some that would be able to do very aesthetic, painful penances, right? But they're only, but they may still be only focused on the certain ways in which they're allowing themselves to be uncomfortable and not in a kind of holistic way. And again, to make fun of myself, that's where we go to that whole ashes. We're not trying to burn down an appendix. We're not trying to burn down an appendage. We're not trying to burn down an arm. We're trying to take the whole being. And so when we talk about really being open to letting God work and make us uncomfortable, then we have to eat even be willing to offer our good attachments, even our holy attachments. We have to be willing to offer those. We have to be able to say, Lord, like work in my heart and define how I see and, and redefine how I see holiness, um, how I see goodness. Like all of those things should be constantly be able to trans be transformed for us, you know, but we tend to, again, not want to make the interior life tense. We don't tend to want to go there and offer up even the things we think are holy. So I take your heart that when you were originally saying that as more of like that resistance to comfort or to uncom discomfort. And Matt? Yes, I, Pope Francis really calls us to enter into that tension. I'm reminded of in Letta's stream, there was a part where Pope Francis talk, talks about having positions and counter positions and people want to just stay on their, their polar opposites. And he's really calling us to enter into that dialogue and enter into that tension. Um, I believe not just in the church, but our society has really have had a habit of demonizing, uh, whether it's demonizing people on the left, demonizing people on the right, demonizing migrants, demonizing black and brown people, and demonizing people who like Pope Francis, demonizing people who don't like Pope Francis. And I believe what God is calling us to is is the opposite, is to enter into that dialogue, what Pope Francis is talking about, to accompany one another and really to find a truth that's not, it's it goes back to that, um, that reading from Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways are your ways. And to uh, let go, as Melinda was talking about, our attachments to really find a a greater uh, sense of of the faith and of our identity by letting go of that. And so I think many of us can feel comfortable in our echo chambers and our um, kind of our, our liturgical practices, our, our ideologies, and we won't grow unless we allow ourselves to be challenged and allow ourselves to be um, pushed out of those uh, comfort zones, literally lighting a fire under us to, um, to engage. I mean, I know for myself, I had a certain view of the church and a certain view of theology and a certain view of politics. And when I entered the Jesuits and had an experience of working with the marginalized and being with those who suffer, it really um, changed me. It, it really allowed me to see who these people are, that they're the face of Christ, and to change whatever demonization I had for, let's just say, the poor, the marginalized, the homeless, people of certain cultures. And and, and that was a grace. And I was able to take that with me and see how my faith only leads me to a love of Christ manifested into action, into love for the marginalized, love for the oppressed. And when I see when I see and hear people kind of scoff at that ideology, I, I pause and I remember I used to think that way. I used to believe that way. I used to think, what are these liberals talking about? And now I realize this is what the gospel teaches. This is what's in the gospel. But if we're fixated on our way of being and our ideologies, we can't fully see Christ. We can't fully hear his message. I think it's really um, interesting how we're all kind of hitting on how we maybe built or understood our identity as Catholics um, in a certain way. And it, it was built on maybe a, a not 
firm foundation or not on a foundation that it should have been built on. I know for me personally, I was, you know, JP2 and Benedict XVI generation Catholic. I studied theology in college. I worked for a Catholic publisher. I've taught natural family planning for the past five years. Like I ticked all the boxes of what an Orthodox Catholic should do. You know, I got married. We, you know, have kids. Um, so I built my identity or my self-concept as a Catholic on these things that I did. So even if I could tell you that, you know, God says that we aren't what we do, we are who we are, we have dignity in him because we are created in God's image. Even if I understood that, um, even if I understood that our identity is in Christ being redeemed by him, um, that wasn't really how I understood it and lived it. And the, deep down inside, the identity was more on those things. And so when those are challenged or when there is um, a discomfort because what you're hearing preached is not quite lining up with your convictions inside, that is attention and that is complexity that we are invited to kind of negotiate. And that means doing away with some of the bases of our identity that weren't, that were faulty and discovering them in Christ, letting that fire purify our understanding of ourselves and letting God kind of change us to be more like more like Jesus. Um, and so I think that that identity, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where exactly we could trace the roots to um, of how Catholics maybe identify themselves just primarily by those countercultural attitudes and convictions. Um, but it seems like there was something that that took hold. And people now, when when they hear some of these things challenged or d emphasis being different in what Pope Francis teaches, they don't they don't recognize that. That's not that's not the countercultural attitude of a Catholic that they're familiar with or the one that they chose to be comfortable with. Um, it's something different. He's he's challenging me, and that that is uncomfortable for all of us. And so I think with Lent, what what Pope Francis is inviting us to do, especially in his messages, and I would really encourage anyone to go read them and reflect on them. That's what I do at the beginning of Lent now. Um, but is just to listen to how he invites us to enter into the tension and the crisis and the confusion that we feel and really to ask God to guide us in that, not to focus on maybe a practice that we're comfortable with, but to really wait for God to tell us what he wants us to do, even if you haven't figured it out yet, like Melinda, um, and, and really try to respond. And doing the best we can in responding to God's invitation is exactly what he wants us to do. He, that's what the invitation of Lent really is. Yeah. Did, I, I saw that you had uh, shared some of the, the notes on, um, or some quotes from his uh, Ash Wednesday message, right? Yeah. I was, I was sharing that personally, but I was, I put some on the banners in this oh, yeah. video too. Um, but he, he has said some really important things that help us focus and help kind of guide. Here, here's one. So Lent is a humble descent both inwards and towards others. And we've been talking about this. It's about realizing that salvation is not an ascent to glory, but a descent in love. So I think that helps us kind of guide our understanding of those, those times when when ascetic practices or penitential practices can feel really interior focused mm -hmm. or think, oh, well, they're just focusing on themselves. No, I mean, it could possibly fall into that. But what we should do when we're taking on those, those penitent, penitential practices is allow them to direct us outward and towards others in acts of mercy, like Matt writes about in his piece, um, or in any kind of daily little sacrifices we make we need to regard the poor as a priority in how we are understanding almsgiving. Um, we need to turn towards other, towards our neighbor. And Pope Francis reminds us about this again and again. And it's something that we really need to pay attention to, I think, more in the church. Yeah, I really like the inwards and towards others in that quote because I know if you follow me on Twitter or my writings, I really talk about pouring yourself out and that the faith must cause, cause us to do that. Um, and that is true. And part of the reason why I focus on that so heavily is because we do have a problem with being overly insular right now in the American church. And that is, that's just how it is. However, there is still so much um, need and merit for very, for an authentic introspection. And so you know, you can't go too far one extreme or the other. 
um, introspection is huge. And there are times where we are called to go out into that desert. Um, and I think like a, a good rule of thumb might be as you're trying to discern where to go or um, how to observe this Lent, like if your Lent in the past have been extremely introspective, maybe try a Lent that's more about almsgiving, right? Or if you do a lot of almsgiving during Lent and a lot of work for others, and you really haven't taken that time to, you know, and to, to look into your own soul for discernments of attachments and um, laws and, and goods and all of that, then maybe make one that's more about introspection. But I think our Lents, I think a good sign is, is when your Lents look different from year to year, because we have different needs. From, and, and, and the other thing too, we're constantly going like this. So to kind of, you know, in the human heart to kind of pull one way, it has to be kind of pulled back at times. So I really, really appreciate the the focus of both the inwards and the towards others. Um, yeah. So is that, I, I was noticing some picture stuff going on. We're just still trying to figure out the, uh, the technical details. So Melinda disappeared two or three times. But I could still hear, yeah, but I could still hear you. I don't know if everyone else could she see that or not. I could. She didn't disappear for me. I, so. I heard her. Oh, it could I be my connection. I don't know. I don't know. Probably to Melinda. Oh, should I go ahead? No, I, I'm just rambling. As I <laughs> like, I do. Melinda and I are both ENFPs, so we're very. Um, well, I know, I know I'm a complete mess, but <laughs> <laughs> Melinda's together. No, we're very extroverted. We'll just yeah. leave it at that. Verbal processors. Okay, here we go. This Let's is let why it. I asked Rachel to host it because otherwise it would be like Mike Lewis and you know three people on the one in the one column because otherwise. Christopher Probably. is it? Christopher Lake is an INFP. Is that Christian? Man, is that? Yep. Uh oh! Did Mike freeze? Mike's frozen. All right, while he's frozen. Can you see me? <laughs> while he's frozen, let's let Matt. While he's frozen, Matt, take over. <laughs> yes, yes. A couple things Melinda shared reminded me of something. So in um, it could be on retreats or team building um, assignments. Oftentimes, one is asked to find someone else that you don't normally interact with and then go and interact with them. I guess that, and during Lent, the same thing can be done with regard to our understanding of the faith of the church. So let's just say... Maybe a certain work like working with the migrants or working with the gangs or working with um, uh, Black Lives Matter or working with um, the death penalty. There's ways to enrich our faith by getting to know these different types of works. I have, um, for instance, uh, for spiritual reading during Lent, um, I don't know if you all can see it. This is Sister Helen Prejean's most recent book, River of Fire. Sister Helen Prejean, of course, is famous um, for the book turned in the movie Dead Man Walking and her work um, with the death penalty. And so I look forward to reading that. And I, the death penalty is a, certainly a, an important issue for me, but something I can uh, further enter into and really try to see how, how is God seeing these people and calling us to love these people? Because oftentimes, uh, whether it's the media or society wants to recognize them, and our faith really calls us to see all people as God sees them. And, uh, and so that's something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, to doing, but it's just that idea of how can we stretch? How can we expand our hearts, expand our understanding of Christ and and what and who Christ is calling us to be? Mm -hmm. One really concrete thing that struck me um, that Pope Francis also talked about in his Lenten message was about how fasting involves being freed from everything that weighs us down. And I love how he gives like specific examples. And so he said like consumerism or an excess of information, whether true or false. And I just thought, you know, since I wake up in the morning and scroll my news feed or scroll on Twitter, like every hour <laughs> at least um, to see what what's happening. Um, I thought that was a really important kind of idea or something to think about is that we might need to fast from an excess of information in order to be able to focus truly on what God wants of us and of being purified from those attachments to being in the know, you know, the, the world will keep going without my knowledge of the latest um, up to the minute news. Um, but it, it that sort of fasting from even our attachments as, you know, very privileged people um, living in a 
a difficult time, but who still have a lot of things that we can free ourselves from, um, that that's an opportunity for really practicing and, and being in solidarity with the poor. That's that will turn us towards an understanding of how we really ought to be acting. So, you know, uh, Pope Francis actually had a um, like early in his papacy spoke about. I believe he said he called it the sin of curiosity, which mm -hmm. is kind of a i mean being inquisitive is a good thing but there are those i guess those black holes on the internet that you can just or the the vortexes for lack of a better word that you can get sucked into like oh i want to know the real deal and, and i mean i'm this is this is my life this is my problem you know it's it's sort mm -hmm. of like wanting to know what what's going on everywhere with everyone i mean granted i have a knack for it your husband, Dan, is always amazed that I can pull. I mean, I have so much useless information. You have an encyclopedic. Yeah. Well, you know, encyclopedic it's funny because I, I've never actually benefited from it in like any way, <laughs> shape or form. I was in the Jeopardy celebrity or the, the Jeopardy contestant pool, but I didn't get picked. <laughs> there was another Michael Lewis, though, the same year that was that was from Duluth who was on the show. And, and my theory is that they, pick, they accidentally picked the wrong Michael Lewis and put him on Jeopardy and go. they meant to call me, but like, <laughs> although I do get to use my useless knowledge now with, with where Peter is uh, writing. I can whip up a post, yeah. I can whip <laughs> up a post in five minutes. No, so the, which uh, Pope said this? Oh, that's Pedro's deal. That's, he's very, <laughs> he's very meticulous about it. He's very... Um, I don't know. Apparently there, I don't, I'm a little old for Pokemon. It was like kids that were like five, but there's a thing with Pokemon where it's like, which Pokemon said this maybe or something like that. And that was his inspiration for which, for which Pope said this. So that's the, that's the actual story. Um, and, but it was actually good because it was, it was very early on in the site and sorry, since we're, we're wrapping up soon, here's a little mm -hmm. bit of where Peter is trivia or lore um but early on you know our goal was like to get out um maybe two or three posts a week tops and pedro kind of had this he, he had this idea like let me um we're trying we want i mean one of the things we want to do is we want to educate right i mean we're kind of all over the place because that's my personality, but we, there are more of us now, so we're getting a little bit more direction. But it's like, yeah, we'll put out a study guide for Fratelli Tutti. That's great. Sure, we'll post <laughs> Father Satish's homilies whenever he wants. You know, um, sure, we'll do commentary, reflections. You know, we're we're I mean, we're pretty wide open. But he, you know, we're trying to like one of the things that Pedro had noticed because he he was an expert in Benedict the Sixteenth. He had his own blog in Portuguese defending Benedict the Sixteenth from progressives who didn't agree with the magisterium. So when he heard Francis saying things that, um, Bene that, that Benedict had essentially said the same thing, or John Paul had said the same thing, or Leo Thirteenth had said the same thing. Um, hey, well, why don't we create this feature? And he's like, it wouldn't take me much, much time. I'll just copy and paste and I'll use the same picture over and over and over again. And, um, Sure. And so that's every Saturday at noon. And then, but then when he went on a trip to Port to, to the Philippines, I believe to propose to Claire, his wife, Claire, he took three or four weeks off. So I took over that role and the way I handled it, which Pope said this, I would just go to the most recent thing that Pope Francis had said. And I would like <laughs> copy and paste a random paragraph from it. And and so it was like five or six in a row that were just Pope Francis quotes from his like address to school teachers in Italy the day before. So anyway, that's 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 some that's how that's how we started. You know, we just sort of winged it. If, if Paul is still here, um, anyway. So Pedro, if you ever do watch this, <laughs> I've given away your secret. <laughs> Pokemon. Watch it. <laughs> Any Pokemon fans here? My kids are into Poke. It's like you have to catch them all or something. I don't understand how it works. There's like a yellow Battles. thing and a boy and the, <laughs> these balls that like, I don't know. I my I was a, I mean, my generation was like Smurfs and Oregon Trail. Joe. 
Oregon Trail Generation. That's right. Yeah. Matt and I are both Oregon Trail Generationers. We're not proper millennials or or Generation Xers. No. (laughs) In between. In between. Yeah. Analog youth and uh, digital adulthood. Typewriters. And we we weren't prepared for either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since we are wrapping up, is there anything else we have to say about Lent for now or anything else you would like to point people to in the coming kind of weeks on the site, Mike? Yes. Grass-fed beef. Oh, my God. You can't <laughs> eat that. Just found this out. We're just clarifying <laughs> it that. It doesn't count. As, it counts as meat, beef doesn't even if it's grass-fed this. beef. So yes. tomorrow, which is um, Friday, which is Friday, don't – this was a um, Jim Gaffigan tweet. So yes. anyway, but, um, so I think it would be cool because Matt's reading, um, the, the book you're reading for her. Can you hold it up again, Matt? The book you're reading for Lent. Oh, this one, one of many, but yeah, this one river yeah. of fire. I think it would be cool because I think we'll have some death penalty like discussions in the future. So I'd love to look out for that and maybe we can come back on and discuss that. And talk about sure. That. Actually, when we're on the topic, of Lenten reading, I definitely re- recommend this one, Let Us Dream. Yes, Let Us Dream, Pope Francis's latest. I cool. know we get pegged as like, oh, they just love Pope Francis so much over there. But the thing <laughs> is, is that it is legit that I cannot recommend reading that book enough because it is like he's a spiritual father in that book. And he's speaking for this time that we're in. So. If any Catholic, although I I always hesitate saying all, but I would say that it's in this case, if any Catholic were to do anything this month, it would be read that book. That that book I can't, because I can't recommend enough because it is like he's speaking to us at this moment as our father. And so, um, yeah. Although if you're into, I just happened to turn over to my bookshelf over here. I think this this would apply very well. um, The purgation (laughs) manual. Um, okay. As an alternative, it's, it's yeah. like as an alternative, like that whole consuming and fire. Um, I don't. Okay, before we leave, I'm going to set the record straight that I get teased as the intense one in the WPI group, and I am not like in real life. I'm very nice. I'm looking. This we is, love so you, this, Melinda. We just cleaned out my mom's like books, and so went through them, and somehow this wound up on the. Um, Eighth day, pain of helplessness and desolation. So, wow. Wow, I haven't gotten there yet. Fire and brimstone. Seventh day, pain of sorrow for sin. Soon to be reprinted by Tan Books, Mike? Is that what this probably is? is by Tan Books. I don't know. This is Okay, so uh, be merciful on yourself and actually yeah. read Lucas Dream and not what Mike's talking about. <laughs> this looks good. I'm going to read it. I have often thought that Pope Francis really is like the church's spiritual director. He just Mm -hmm. gets so, he cuts straight to the heart of anything he's talking about. It's not just an intellectual theological discourse on something, though it does have obvious deep intellectual roots. It is, he is a pastor for us. And if we would open up and listen to his guidance, we can really, really grow. Yeah, I was really, I, I got a little teary-eyed a couple of times in that book because, like, it does feel like he's just cutting straight to the heart, and it feels like he knows us. He mm-hmm. knows what we're, I think, and this, and I don't want to spend this time ragging on any church leaders, but I think, for me, I feel very frustrated right now because I look at American church leaders, and I don't see much there. But when I was reading this book, I was struck by the Bishop of Rome knows us. He understands us. Mm-hmm. The issues are laid out in the book in a way that speaks to our hearts. Um, he governs the whole world, but it does speak, at least when I was reading it, it's, it spoke very directly as an actual, almost spiritual director um, to the heart. So, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. And if we had our production act together, this is where like the music would be playing <laughs> and the outro and, you know, we'd we could be. Play, um, ashes to Ashes. remix that matt was tweeting about yes yes and i'm planning on getting a green screen so i can put an awesome background behind me in the future so excellent um anyway and if i can find a good cat filter i think we're gonna (laughs) do that catholic cat filter 
So the plan is to release the audio of this stream as to our podcast feed. So mm -hmm. you can look for it there. Um, and we will reappear in your feeds, hopefully next week, same time, same place. That's the Thank plan. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, all.